from Television City in Hollywood. Boy, the way Glenn Miller plays. Welcome to All in the Podcast. This week, I'm officially introducing my co-host, Alex Ajar, one of my best friends and super fan of All in the Family. This week, we'll be discussing Season 1, Episode 8, titled, Lionel Moves into the Neighborhood. What's up, everyone? And in this episode, Archie is not happy that a black family is moving into the neighborhood. Right, yeah, a plot which we we were talking about before this started, a plot that was very much um, borrowed or appropriated from A Raisin in the Sun. Right, yeah. Right. So, yeah, we were talking before and we were saying how it might be best to go through this episode chronologically, just like go through each scene, because it was actually, I feel like it was a shorter episode than I'm used to. No, it was just as long. I think it was because you actually go into a different place. Right. Which made it feel like a little like, oh, we're in a different place. This is different. Right. Yeah, Yeah, that's true. I mean, so much of the entire series takes place in that In the house. house. I know. And even the, it's what, it's like one, two, three, four, maybe five scenes altogether. But because you're in a different location, you're like, oh, there's a little reprieve from this. Right. Which is rare in the first season. I feel like they didn't give them any money, which is like, okay, whatever. Oh, I mean, yeah. I mean, the set outside the Jeffersons' new house was so Like, it looked like there was no house in there. Like, she goes in at one point, and I was like, poor Mrs. Jefferson has to live in that (laughs) shitty fucking house. She's so proud of it. I know, like, the picket fence was, like, painted (laughs) on the wall of the exterior of the house. PA got yelled at because he like couldn't finish <laughs> painting it right before. Yeah, it, was like, it was an unpaid intern. It was disgusting. Um, so yeah, in the very beginning of the episode, there's this just like beautiful moment with Edith and him, which I love. Heartbreaking. It's as well. heartbreaking. Yeah, we saying, well, we have like that that juxtaposition, that not so subtle juxtaposition of him sitting on his luxurious king's chair reading the newspaper, her sitting next to him like knitting her socks on which, the shitty chair. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like a foldable chair, which as we like discussed last week is not only a reaffirmation of her gender role, but it's also it also has more symbolic import, which right. we're going to see as we get to later on in the scene but i just like that moment where she just looks at him goes do you like spending time alone with me which i feel like is a question i ask myself about my parents a lot because like growing up i didn't see them ever really spend time alone because like they we were three kids in like Mm -hmm. a tiny little house like a tiny little apartment like in brooklyn so like i don't think they got time alone and now that i'm older i see them actually like in the living room spending time together and i'm like do they love each other? <laughs> like, I find myself doing the Edith thing. Well, we also, what's interesting about that scene, and again, I can say this considering I've watched the entire series before, is that we kind of see the um, Edith's incipient knowledge of the world around her. Right. I mean, she, like, she hears something on the radio, and like suddenly she starts grilling and questioning their relationship. Right. But I mean, granted, this is a fleeting moment, but we're going to see once we get to the later seasons, like six, seven, and eight, right. we see that like what she reads and what she hears and her exposure to the outside world um, kind of prime her to question her relationship with Archie. Right, absolutely. Her role in the house and stuff And like I think that. it's because Gloria's getting older, and now she's married. So now I think Edith is starting to feel that like, well, it's been, you know, 25 years, I've raised a daughter, and now it's right. like, what is the relationship without that? Right, and like, when you have a kid, so much of your relationship, so your marriage is predicated on raising that child. Like, my aunt. Like, all of your discussions are about, or like, just, how that, yeah. Yeah, or how, how to punish the child, how to raise the child, what decisions to make for the child. Right, what you're doing with the child, what are you going to eat with the child, like, what's the whole and thing? considering that they're, they're like, borderline lower middle class, the bonkers, right. they, like, you know, it's not like they're going on vacations to take a break from their kid and leaving Gloria with a sitter for the weekend. It's, no. You know, you can tell it's always just been there. And I think, so. yeah, and Edith always points out that she never leaves that house. So it's like, Ever. yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, it reminds me of my my aunt. Like, my aunt's, like, I never, my aunt in Canada had four kids. And so I never, when we visited when we were kids, we never saw my aunt and my uncle in the same room together. I feel like 
until like a couple years ago when I went to visit, I was like, oh, they do interact. I never noticed that. Like, I never noticed that they did that because she was in an arranged marriage. Like in Greece, like they just, she was the youngest. So they just showed her six pictures or whatever. And they were just like, pick one. And she picked the cutest guy. And the next week she got shipped to Canada. And like, good thing that system doesn't exist anymore. Good thing we don't don't select potential partners based on their pictures. (laughs) Ooh, ooh. I know the the vestiges of a bygone era. (laughs) My aunt swiped right on my Uncle John. (laughs) And now she lives with him. Right. Imagine that's how Tinder worked. I swiped right on like Luke. And then just he's like living with him. Had to get married. Yeah. Like the next step was marriage. Um, But she, I always wondered like, do they love each other? Because I don't know if they did. And I guess they do. I guess they learn to love each other. And I guess that's yeah. kind of how a lot of couples that... Because Archie even says it. He's like, what do you mean, do I love you? I go to work. I come home. I go to work. I come home. I take care of you. And I think it's like, that's the mentality they have. It's like, marriage isn't really about love. I mean, it is, but it's well, not. Well, you also have to consider the way that we're defining love in 2018. I mean, you know, part of how we define love is also... Like, um, I get a text outward, back, by, and I'm by, like, by, he loves me, you know? <laughs> right, exactly. But, like, also by an outward display of affection. I mean, right. you know, sometimes there there have been times when, like, I'll go to a party or whatever, and I'll see a couple, and I'll look at their body language, and I'll see how they're interacting with each other, and I'll determine how healthy or how well that relationship right. is going based on how they interact with each right. other. Like, I'm judging them based on their um, public, you know, public display of affection whereas you know again Archie and Edith are from an era where you don't kiss each other in public you don't hold no. each other's hand in public I but, mean that, that's a but also I think in that but... era like love was like mar- or marriage at least was definitely built more on compromise instead of like this is the person that I love so much that I'm gonna do this with it's more like kind of like a compromise of like you know this is what we do at this age right, and with this one is what gender compromising more than the other absolutely course, yeah. right but it's like that's kind of in, that's why like when she asked that question it's so heartbreaking because it is very much like i don't know if he i i mean i know he loves her but it's a different kind of love that i don't see that much anymore right it's a love yeah it's yeah. definitely a love that we're not accustomed to right and so oh and then i love his moment when he's reading the newspaper and he's like unemployment inflation this this right and then, and then what's his name? Mike comes in. Nixon predicts great year. And it's like, that's literally America right now again. Here we go. Yeah, it was the exact same issue of um, whether you can criticize your president. Right. Um, whether you can criticize the country. Whether you can criticize the I mean, I feel like at this point. And this point... is timely considering just a couple of days ago, Trump made that shithole comment oh, right. about the other countries. I really think like at this point, like a piece of America can go missing one day. And, and Trump will just be like, it's going to be great. Yeah. The stock market's rising. And I'm like, okay, Chicago has left the building. Like, Chicago right. blew up in nuclear war, and Trump would be like, this is great. Yeah. But we also have to remember that this kind of mentality, these, you know, this is not a relic of, um, you know, America's conservative past. I mean, no. even Tommy Lahren recently, who is our age, she like went on Twitter. She responded to Trump's um, comment about, you know, why are people coming from these shithole countries? Like, quote unquote Africa, which is not a country. But she like responded saying like, oh yeah, all these liberals, like you guys are so self-righteous and you're pretending that you're butthurt over this when really um, you you spent the last two years telling us that America, our own country is a shithole. And I I mean like, first of all, no, I don't think, I don't know anyone, any politician or anyone who's used that kind of language to talk about our country, but you know, again, it's the idea that we are not allowed to criticize America. America is perfect. America it, is the, is right. it is the paragon of countries. It is the paragon of everything. Right. And um, to do so is disloyal and to do so is unacceptable. And if we don't like it, then we can leave, which is ironic <laughs> because 
they're complaining about, oh, political correctness this and liberal snowflakes that. And I'm like, well, this is a part of America's culture, right? right. Now. Political correctness is here to stay. It's not going anywhere, yeah. no matter how many times you elect Donald Trump. So if you don't like it, then maybe you should hightail it on out because this is a part of America that is here to stay. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Which brings me to the next point. Like, mm-hmm. you know, the symbolism of the sock. Edith starts off by knitting yes. that sock in the opening scene. And um, Gloria goes, Mom, like you're knitting the same, uh, you're knitting that same sock again. It keeps tearing. It keeps um, getting ruined. And Edith goes, Yeah, we keep having problems with this with the sock. And Gloria's like, God, Mom, like if the sock isn't working anymore, just throw it out. Right. Which is a precursor to how the episode. Right. Is going exactly. To go and because, it is. It is symbolic of the entire episode. Right. So. Which is and the entire series. Yeah. But part of part of Archie's anxiety over having the Jeffersons move into the neighborhood is not only that he's a bleeding racist right. that he bleeds racism but it's also that he realizes that you know traditional family values and the way that he grew up and the val- and the mores that he grew up um, adhering to are on their way out right he's the um, sock <laughs> right or at least or at least he thinks so i mean here right. we are 40 years later and, and then, they, yeah they're but still here but i think it's that really it's the it is that that he they're both the sock and they're they're like oh maybe we should just throw you out and he's like no I can't be thrown out like yeah, that. Exactly. That complete, yeah. And that's that masculine mentality of like. Also, I mean, I just want to point out, I love that when I was a kid, we were so poor. The socks were made. We had cardboard in our shoes 10 miles to the snow. Yeah, and Gloria, Was there ever good weather? Yeah, Gloria's like, wow, didn't you ever have good weather in your day? <laughs> I remember some sunny days. Yeah, like satirizing that that hyper romanticization of like, you know, the good old days when we would walk barefoot and we would play football yeah. on the streets and we would come in and our feet would be bleeding and we would have the predisposition for melanoma. Right, and, and my like, dad would do that too. And when I was a kid, he'd be like, well, you know what? I had to walk two miles to school every day. One time I forgot my backpack and I had to walk two miles back to get my backpack. I got mugged two four miles. times. Yeah. Stabbed, stabbed in the stabbed I was in like, my neck. cool dad, good, good for you. But now we're in America and in America you moved here. So I don't have to walk two miles through the fucking snow and forget my backpack. Maybe if you didn't forget your fucking backpack, we wouldn't be here right now. Yeah. Or even teachers like back in my day in the 1980s, we had to go to the library and we had to search through the catalog. And I'm like, great. I don't have to do that anymore. Listen, I've seen stranger things. It was fun. Your childhood was fun. Okay, <laughs> you fought monsters and played pinball. Like, shut the fuck up. Yeah. Okay? I don't want to hear your shit about the '80s anymore. Exactly. I do. There's this comedian that does this joke. He's like, "When I was a kid, blah blah." And he's like, "I grew up in the '90s. What am I gonna say? When I was a kid, we had to walk through cold tile to get to the phone because there was a wire on it." And I'm like, "It's gonna be real." When I was a kid, we had Game Boy Advance. I know. Yeah. Um, well, you know, my, you know, a lot of people, a lot of people from the generation believe that the harder you work for something, the more character it builds and the more it teaches you to appreciate it. Like I appreciated my education more because I had to swim through like, the, you know, I had to like, I had to part the sea. And I, had to, like, <laughs> I had to swim to Staten Island to get to my high school yeah. and therefore I appreciated my education more. Right. But which that's I, not how it works. Like, I mean, I, I, I can, agree with like yeah. working hard and everything, right. but yeah, like calm down. Like on it, like you can slow your roll. We don't need to have like cardboard socks. Like it's fine. Right. Um, so this brings us to the next part of the episode. Right. Um, so I think I forgot, are they talking about, um, the house being sold before Mrs. Jefferson shows up to the door. No, it happens after she shows up, right? Yes. She knocks on the door and, you know, Archie She's here to get Mr. Bowman's key. Exactly. And, and Archie, Archie immediately assumes assumes. she's like selling Bibles or something. Yeah. And he's, and he's like, I've donated to you guys and I appreciate yes. all the work that you're trying to do for those hoodlums and tries to slam the door in her face. Right. And she's like, no, I'm here for Mr. Bowman's key. And then Edith recognizes her. And then he, she, as she waits for the key, there's this really just like funny fucking moment where Archie and Mrs. Jefferson are standing there alone and they're just in, smiling in silence at each other. for about a minute. 
minute. And then, um, what does he ask her? He goes, it's some, it's some like, you know, like black program on TV that he asks her. And he's like, oh, so how'd you like it? And she goes, good. How did you like Doris Doris Day? Day? Yeah. And it's like, she flips it on him and it's so great. There's also this really great physicality of the scene where he just like steps in front of her at one point Mm -hmm. and just stands there and is like, Edith, hurry up. And it's like, he's just trying to just like completely assert his masculinity and that like his white masculinity in that moment. It's such a simple little thing, but like, Whoever directed this episode, that was genius because it's like that simple, like he steps forward and is like, looks behind him. Well, the minutia is what makes the show so brilliant. Right. Like yeah. it makes it because if you really like sit down, because we were, when we were even talking about the, um, the juxtaposition of Archie and Edith sitting side by side, she's sitting in like that horrible, right. like He's Ikea just, chair. She's in like a fold up terje <laughs> Ikea chair without a pillow right. on it, just oh, like yeah, sewing like, a sock. Right, like a lawn chair. Right. Yeah. Um, and his chair isn't like great or anything, but it's like, you know, the best thing in the room at course, that point. Yeah. Of course. Um, so yeah, they're having that interaction, and again, I I had I hadn't seen this episode in so long, so I'm wondering like, I'm like, why is he so calm about this? And then I realize that the reason he's calm about it is because he thinks that Mrs. Jefferson is just here to clean the, the house. Cleanly. But okay, so he so he realizes that it's Mrs. Jefferson after a while. He talks to Mr. Bowman and he realizes it's Mr. Jefferson. Yeah, and and then the Mr. Bowman um. You know the Mr. Bowman scene is important too because one because it's the one scene that occurs outside of the house. right <laughs> that but shitty also, set. But also because um, my initial question when you we, um, there's a scene with Mrs. Jefferson and Mr. Bowman when they're meeting and Mr. Bowman is being completely shady and he's like very he he's very surreptitiously trying to usher into the house usher right. her into the house and so no one sees them yeah exactly he's like come on like we can't talk outside Let, let's meet back up at nine o'clock and so you wonder like if he's so ashamed or if this is so this is so difficult for him like why did he sell the house to a black family to begin with then you find right. out later on when Archie apprehends him and says um you, you know, you find out that Mr. Bowman years ago had circulated a petition to keep a Jewish family from moving into the neighborhood. Yeah. And when Archie says, like, you need to prevent this from happening, what happened? Bowman says, like, well, I just got tired. Well, first he says, um, I was getting desperate. Like, you know, no one was buying the house and this was the only family that was buying or the only family that was going to pay me the price I was looking for. And then he says, well, I'm tired of hating people and I'm starting to, you know, really believe those bumper stickers and yeah. those signs that I'm reading. But we, we see a lot of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, you know, a lot of references to like literature and pop culture and how pop culture is influencing mindsets. First, you have Edith who questions the, um, the validity or like questions... Um, the sincerity of her marriage because of something she hears on the radio. She right. hears a song from Fiddler on the Roof. Yeah. And then you have Mr. Bowman who claims that he sells his house to a black family because of because a bumper of, sticker. Because of something he read in a bumper sticker. Yeah. And, well, so and then there's the later moment, the which we're going to get to later, but let's just... like So Edith also says like, well, Gloria and Mike ask her, like, what do you think of a black family moving to the house? And she's like, well, two years ago they were servants and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And now they've seemed, they seem to have done very well for themselves. Now they're, they're teachers, teachers and, and lawyers. And, and they, you know, what did she say? She says, they've come a long way on TV. And it's like, again, how pop culture influences their mindset. Yes. Yeah. Well, and it's true. It's like, I mean, as much as like, I, I, can't stand people like getting on their high horse on Facebook all the time. It's like, if you don't put that out there, then, and people like that don't agree with you aren't going to see it, then like what's going to change about the world. So like in a way it's like, you know, Hollywood does have a major impact on like what we're going to do and say about right. the world. So it's like, they should be creating stories that are diverse and blah, blah, blah. Cause we're so woke. What are we going to do? Yeah, of course. But yeah, 
pop culture does like, I mean, yeah, a bumper sticker, maybe a bumper sticker wouldn't be like, I'm going to sell my house to a black family, but like <laughs> in a microwave, maybe it's like, Oh, I, after I've seen that like six times over the course of a day, like, okay, I shouldn't be fucking hating people anymore. Uh, right, yeah. Right. Or, but like you also realize that hatred and bigotry are no longer in, like they're right. no, they no longer the fashion of the day. Yeah. And it's either, well, you can assimilate and you can get on board with this or like you can just wait to die because your generation, like you, your generation and that, that mindset are on their way out. Well, in terms of Mr. Bowman, or, or, <laughs> or at least they thought. <laughs> in terms of Mr. Bowman, though, like I don't know how sincere his comment was. Yeah, that, I think that was a big concern you and I had prior because, to like, the start he of does this. usher it into the house, like he's kind of like ashamed of it. So I'm like, uh, I think honestly that is his ex- his excuse of like I'm tired of hating people. I think. He personally is buying a better house in a better neighborhood, in a it's, whiter neighborhood. Yes, it's pragmatism, and and Archie calls him out on that. He's yes, like, you know he, he um, Bowman says something about like, don't isn't it great that we're having a diverse neighborhood? Like, don't you think this is a good thing? And Archie goes, well, let me ask you, like, what's the diversity like in the new neighborhood? Right, and he can't answer. To? So it's purely practicality. Yeah, like, they were offering the money, and they had money because I think Mr. Yeah. Bowman also was like, well, a Jewish family tried to move in, and now he probably heard of another neighborhood that was all white, and then black people started moving in. And he probably felt threatened. And so he was like, I'm going to get out of this neighborhood. And was like, fuck it. I don't care who buys the house. So I think in terms of him, it was like, yeah, it was maybe the bumper sticker, but it was probably just like pure right. pragmatism, which, you know, whatever. He still <laughs> sold it to a black family. So yeah, he exactly. did something good. So then Lionel comes in at the end, which is such a great, Classic, just such a great yeah. moment. Also, wait, I just want to point out, uh, let's talk about the stupid fucking art thing that they bring in from the museum. Cause like, that's me at a museum. Like people explain things to me and I'm like, I'm Gloria. I'm like, I guess so. <laughs> sure. I agree. Like yeah. any museum, especially the Whitney, like the Whitney is just like, there's be like, there'll be like a blank ca- canvas with a black line and they'll be like, uh, ar. and I'm like, this is fucking, I can't, I paid $25 for this shit. Are you fucking kidding me? I hate museums though. Yeah. I, yeah, I hate museums. I feel that. I mean, um, yeah, so there's that scene. They're looking at like an abstract piece of art and Mike is explaining how he's like, this is symbolic of the assimilation and, you know, you can the see new like, brotherhood coming the, through, the new yeah. brotherhood coming in and yeah, everyone living together in harmony and yeah, Gloria's like, sure, okay. But then oh, there's this it. great moment that kind of reminds me of my exchanges with my own parents when Archie comes in. And, you know, they're getting into the argument about it. Like Archie is spitting fire that a black family is just is moving into the neighborhood. And, um, you know, he, he cites for, you know, he cites a, a quote unquote pragmatic reason himself. He says, well, I don't want them moving in because I don't want the, you know, the value of my property declining. Like, I don't want, you know, like, I don't want that to affect my property. And then um, Mike cites like sociological studies right. that say that um, if anything, like it's going to help, it's going to um, right. boost and augment that the all, value. That of all property. neighborhoods should be twelve percent black because exactly. it would yeah, help the exactly. economy. Yeah. Um, and he's just like so sociological. I don't even understand what you're saying, and he just like shoes it off. I've had that argument with my parents. So right, many times it's the facts. It's like I gave you a fact, and you can't fucking believe me, right? Or now. at the very yeah. least, like if, if like if you're skeptical of my fact that I just or my statistic that I just gave you, like look it up yourself. Right. Um, but you know, I, I hear that all the time where they'll like, you know, my parents will say something that is so off the mark and like, they have no frame of reference for making that comment at all. And then I'll be like, actually like, this isn't true. And and I'll, I'll give them numbers and I'll give them statistics and I'll even tell them the website I got it off from. And they were like, no, that's not true. And I'm like, okay, well, I guess I'm an asshole. <laughs> guess, like, guess I'm wrong. I don't know what to say. Yeah, exactly. Like I yeah. can, you know, like say like peer reviewed studies. Well, my and- parents also are, are similar in the way of like, I mean, 
this whole thing of like a black family moving into a white neighborhood. Like uh, my parents would still feel like uncomfortable about me moving into a unsafe neighborhood is what they right. would say. Right, well, the new euphemism well, is unsafe. Because you're, you're in Sunset Park. a black neighborhood anymore. Right. It's a low-income neighborhood. Right. Or an unsafe neighborhood. Right, yeah. and like even my... but And that goes further than just my parents. There are people my age that grew up in privileged, white, rich, like NYU kids that I went to school with or people that are in the industry that grew up in really yeah. nice neighborhoods and have fucking yachts and four bathrooms in their house for no fucking reason. And they move to LA and they get scared because they've never been in a big city before. Like, I know people that are like, I won't walk to the gym even though it's a two minute walk. I'll drive because it's unsafe in this neighborhood. I'm like, West Hollywood is not unsafe. I'm sorry, that's not fucking true. Like it'd be like it'd be like if you're in Times Square at like 2 p.m. and you're like, I have to take a cab to the fucking gym. Like it's yeah. fucking ridiculous. But like I even went to a, I went to a concert one time. It was a Glass Animals concert, and like the people that listen to Glass Animals are fucking rich white college kids. So we go to the concert, and my friend turns around to me and says, "Wow, I really like the crowd here. I feel really safe." And I was like, "What do you mean by that?" Oh, no. He's like, I don't know. I just feel safe. Like, look at the crowd. Like, it's just like you know, I could just like oh, do God. things. And I'm like, oh, so you feel like there's no black people here, so you can just do whatever the fuck you want, right? Because yeah, yeah. Oh my God, I didn't want to call it out, but like I've definitely heard that at other concerts. Well, I've been even to if you before. had called it out, he would have been like, you're the one bringing race into this, not right. me. Right. Even though that's so very obvious. It's so very obviously like, yeah. even if I wasn't bringing race into it, it's like, you don't want, what, poor people to be at your concerts? Like, what? <laughs> that's fucking ridiculous. <laughs> like, I just feel like I'm not going to get robbed here. Like, let's get a little fucking, yeah, let's back up a little bit. Right. Um, and that's something I've heard a lot at concerts sometimes, because like, maybe my taste is just super white, but like, I, I will be at concerts with people that are like, oh, this is... I feel so safe here. I'm like, that's not a word you should use. Stop using that oh, word. It's Christ. awful. But like, you live in Sunset Park, which, you know, growing up is not was not the best neighborhood. It's becoming better now. Like, did your parents give you shit about it? My mom, my mom keeps saying to me, she's like, do you know that they have the highest rate of tuberculosis in the country? I'm like, what the fuck? Like, tuberculosis? Like, what? <laughs> like, that's ridiculous. <laughs> like, my parents, I told them because they want it, like... They want to buy property. And I'm like, well, what you should do is buy property in a neighborhood that's pretty shitty now because it's Brooklyn. And in five years, most likely, it'll be gentrified and it'll be nice. And they're like, well, we don't want you guys living in bad neighborhoods. I'm like, they're like, it's for poor people. I'm like, well, I'm poor. I'm 25 living in America. I'm fucking poor right now. What do you think? Like, I want to be living in a neighborhood that's like affordable for me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I, I mean, I just, you know, whenever my mom says that, she's like, do you know that they have the highest rate? And she'll be like, yeah, I saw it on the news the other, I'm like, no. I saw it on Fox and News. Well, yeah, well, no, not even that. Like she won't say what news channel she saw it from. Cause I, I will give it to my parents that they watch a little bit of every news channel. Oh, that's good. They do like Fox, but they've also like, they do watch CNN. Like they watch, um, CBS, like MSNBC. They watch a little bit of everything. Okay. But, um, you know, I, I just like turned it around on my mom. I'm like, nope, that's not true. Like, <laughs> I'm like, you're going to pull that shit with me? Like, I can do what you can... That's not a fact, yeah, mom. Yeah. Two, two can play at this game. You should just, like, um, low-key just, like, pretend you have tuberculosis at Christmas. <laughs> That's yeah, what I would do. That would be, yeah, that would be really great. Um, I just remember, like, neighborhoods that when we were growing up were really shady. And, like, like Bushwick or Williamsburg that our parents were like, don't go there. And now they're gentrified. And then, like, this whole issue of, like, Archie having a, a an outwardly spoken problem about a black family moving into a white neighborhood is, like... I mean, when gentrification happens, that's essentially what happens. White people just push out low-income 
quote unquote I mean, families. Even, even even gentrification notwithstanding, I mean, is, no no neighborhood ever remains static. Like there's literally right. no such thing as a neighborhood that has ever remained um culturally or ethnically or racially homogenous. Like that's right. just not how it's ever worked. No, it's going to change. I mean, every 10 years something's going to change. Of course. Right. But I feel like with gentrification it's like, yeah, Archie's just like plain out racist about it whereas when gentrification happens it's like these people are the people that go into these neighborhoods and feel unsafe. Right. And then five years later, it's only white people. And it's like, well, it's kind of the same thing. Like, they're doing what Archie is doing, but they're liberal and white and privileged and woke about it. But it's like, you're... You're just doing the same thing. Right. And like colonizing neighborhoods that they can afford to live in. Because yeah, right. it's like I'm living in NYU, but I can't afford to live like in the West Village right. or the East Village. And so, so they all go to Bushwick and then five years later, Bushwick is yeah not a shady neighborhood anymore. And then there's also, yeah, or they go, well, there's also recently, I mean, this is, this is a theory that I, that I, that kind of caught my eye, but there's a theory about how recently, like, you know, Bro- the Bronx is like the only non-gentrified um, borough in New Yeah, York. they don't want to go that and far. Like, but like all of a sudden, like all of these quote unquote, like fires are happening. Like there have been like 8,000 fires in the Bronx, like in the last two weeks. And there's like a theory about like, hmm, like suddenly all of these like fires are happening that are displacing low income families, poor families. And, um... Yeah, I don't know. It's it's yeah. It's, but then that brings us to the next. You know the, right. the you can say it's a conspiracy theory, but it's like yeah, what they're doing is pushing out Logan. I mean, yeah. Well, I mean, and it brings us to the next part of the episode when Archie says the coons are coming. The coons. <laughs> I just can't believe they fucking said that shit. I, yeah, yeah, the coons are coming. Um, God, well, like, what do we even? How do we even begin to unpack that? I mean, yeah, there is a play that is essentially, so it's, I I forgot what it's called, but I saw it on Broadway, but it's two acts. The first act is this, basically this episode. It's a black family moving into a white neighborhood. And then the second act is the same neighborhood 30 years later. Hmm. And uh, a black family is living in that house and a white family decides to move into the neighborhood. And it's like, the same neighborhood just 30 years later. It's the same family, I think, as in the first or like the son of mm-hmm. the people that move in in the first act. But it's like showing like how, well, you know, when low and like it's like the right. s- same thing essentially. But it's an interesting episode. It's an interesting play because, yes, after a while, like neighborhoods are going to change and then white people are going to move in and then gentrify it. And it's like they feel like the black family felt just as attacked. Mm-hmm. by that because they were like what the fuck like now we're gonna have to get pushed out of our neighborhood and move to a shitty neighborhood because of these white people moving in right and there was also that i i, I mean i don't know i read it as a play on like the paul, paul revere's like the british are coming yeah and you know it's almost like you know archie valorizing himself and saying like the coons are coming meaning like we need to we need to protect our right. neighborhood from the erosion of um you know our cultural homogeneity and our um our traditional family values. I think I mentioned last week how much I fucking hate traditional. That <laughs> All right, like what what's happening to family values? I'm like there are no family. There is no family like, values. Go fuck yourself, Tommy Lauren. <laughs> like lots she, of rage against her. Do you know what's her. funny about her is she is now like because she's on Fox News now. Yeah, and she keeps, and she lives in like West Hollywood. Right, right. Yeah, she she keeps tweeting like I'll be in West Hollywood with a news crew tonight talking about like why people immigration. Hate, yeah, yeah, and why people hate our news channel. Right, and so and then but like all the gays on my Facebook. Live in West Hollywood and they're like we have to go fight the good fight I'm like don't fight the good fight Tommy is not gonna make you look good don't go out there and start like yelling at her she's not gonna paint you in a good light she's on Fox News also like she's not the dumbest person 
Oh, well, okay, well, I... She can have an argument. Right, well... That's without, my issue exactly, with Like, without going on too much of a tangent, like, I will right. say that one, the one thing... I don't want to say that I respect because I don't have any respect for her, but... No, I she, like, her. the girl has done her homework. I mean... Oh, yes. I, I watched... The thing is, she keeps getting... She keeps getting paired up for debates with people who are not politics. Like, she keeps getting paired up with, like, Trevor Noah, who's, yeah. like, a talk show host and a comedian. Right, so, he doesn't write... Like, he has writers. Yeah, like, the, like, I'm yeah, sorry. So Trevor Noah's funny and smart, that, but, and like, he has po- writers, Right, you know? and then at Politicon um, over the summer, she was like, oh, like, Chelsea Handler and Tommy Lauren go head to head. I'm like Chelsea Handler is a subpar comedian, and like Chelsea yeah. Handler had no fucking idea what she was doing. Right. Like Tommy Lauren came there with like all of her homework done, all of her research done, all of her explanations and her rationales as to why she believed what she believed, and Chelsea Handler was kind of just preying on the liberalism of the audience, even though at least half of that audience was conservative. Right. Um, hoping that like she could just like make fun of conservative greed. And like everyone would be on her side, but it wasn't. Like at one point in the in at one point in the debate, um, you know, Chelsea was saying like Trump lies, like he's a liar. And Tommy Lauren goes, "Well, what has he ever lied about?" And Chelsea Handler couldn't name. That's one. the issue. And I'm yeah. like, are you fucking kidding? You, you have, have like, to do I'm your like, homework. You couldn't at least say birtherism, like like, like, yeah. <laughs> like literally, like she like Chelsea Handler couldn't name one. So so Tommy has done her homework. Right. But she also. Um, like, the problem is the conclusions she's drawn from, like, the homework and the research that she's done. Yeah, no, like, when she's she was completely... Talking, yeah, yeah, like, I forgot who it was. Um, it might have been, like, Philando Castile, but she was, like... She was, like... She's, like, well, did you know that Philando Castile had, like, actually dealt drugs before or something like that? And I'm, like, okay, great, you did your homework. What the fuck does that have to do with him being unjustly killed yeah. for his right to bear arms? Yeah. Like, so, like, she's done her homework, but the conclusions that she draws from the homework that she's done are stupid yeah the the parallel i find in new york city right now is gentrification of like yeah we're doing the opposite of like we're just pushing out black families now at this point because of just like just because of nyu honestly like nyu <laughs> is like the biggest factor i well, feel I mean, and NYU, Columbia. nyu has effectively colonized like o- almost like all of lower manhattan right I mean, whether you're in the east village whether you're in the west village like no matter where you are you're always going to find like some nyu building yeah. And in, or and then you go to Williamsburg and there and it's just like it's basically Williamsburg is an NYU dorm as far as I'm concerned like the whole neighborhood is an NYU dorm like I don't know anybody yeah. that doesn't go to NYU that isn't Williamsburg yeah. at this point so it's just like I mean I just I, I just find it interesting how like this like the racism is still the internalized racism is still there oh, and I'm glad that you brought up internalized racism because there is that final scene between Archie um, and Lionel yes actually no I'm sorry it's not the final scene it's the one where um, before Archie realizes that it's Lionel's family that yes so where Lionel's talking yes, to him yes Archie yeah. is trying to convince Lionel to, to talk to the, the black family out of like buying or moving into the house and of course, you know Lionel refuses. He's um, he he code switches deliberately to um, parody Archie's perception of all black people. And um, but you, but you see this moment. You kind of see like this is how internalized racism. This is how all forms of internalized oppression begin. They be, mm-hmm. they begin with um, a member of the oppressed group telling a member of the non-oppressed group like, well, here's like what you should understand. And like, listen, like we have nothing against black people. Some of them are very fine, decent people, yeah. like his exact words. <laughs> Literally, yeah. They're very fine people. Very fine people. Yeah, um, like some very fine, decent people. But you know, like you understand, it would be nicer for you guys to um, be in a community where you can, you know, be with each other and be comfortable with each other. And Lionel and, I mean, the, wait, the excuse he uses is like, there's no chicken joints or rib joints. Like, exactly. I love that. Like, exactly. I love that he's just like, well, there's no rib joints. And then Lionel's like, we can't get ribs. Like, that is yeah. so fucking ridiculous. Yeah, exactly. 
And, um, but you know, you, you see like this, this, um, effort to transfer racism to the oppressed group so that Lionel would internalize that racism and convince the black family yeah. not to move into the neighborhood. Um, and I mean, and it doesn't happen, but I, I think that the show, I think this episode especially makes a commentary on that. Yes. And I think like, also this episode isn't the funniest episode they've ever done, but I think like... Because it's also so like... It's so deep. Horridly, it's deep, yeah. But it's also so horridly racist. I mean, yes. you know, it's like on one hand you're laughing, but on the other hand you're like, oh my fucking God. Yeah. Like, Jesus And Christ. I think like also, um, again in season one, they still like don't... Yeah, Archie's a racist in this episode, but... He comes after everybody. So it's like, how much of a racist is he? Is well, he's just that like a fucking... Like, what is he that exactly? That that we end. Yeah, exactly. What is like, he? So if he's coming for everyone, he makes... You know, he says the Italians are a bunch of thieves and they're going to yeah. rob you. And, he's like, you and know, the they Irish, are. And the... the Irish this and the Jewish that. So like that begs the question, what is Archie Bunker? Because the show never answers that question. No. I mean, he refers well, to himself think... as an American throughout the entire series. But we know that unless you're Native American, there is no such thing as American identity. Right. He's um, definitely a America, mutt of like, he's probably exactly. like half Irish, half English, or right. like, quarter you know, this, quarter that. And American identity are a quilt of like every culture, every language, different yeah. races. Um, so you know, it's always ironic when he's like, oh, the Irish this and the Italian that and whatever, because... You know what the fuck are you, Archie? Like if that, like what makes you impervious to all of these, um, these stereotypes and these generalizations that right. you? But that I you think like, to, like even a, my parents yeah. do this, where they're like, "Don't trust these people, don't trust these people, yeah. don't trust these people," and I'm like, "But we're immigrants. Like, what are you talking about? Like, aren't we the same thing?" Yeah. I get so confused about it. Even when I was a kid, I'd be like so confused. They'd be like, "You know, these people are just like this," and I'm like. Are they? Aren't we like that? Like I don't know. It's just very confusing. Well, but I mean, I guess. But I consider... think the reason they don't answer that question is because like most people that are just like Archie are probably from some descent of some like ethnic descent, and they just don't care. Yeah, they don't want to know. They don't want to know, or they're just like I don't like. They're just like they just completely are oblivious to it. Well, like so, I actually never read these articles. I did see a couple of articles with the title about how. Um... You know, like, white supremacists finding out from, like, Ancestry.com, like, where they're actually from and being livid about it. Um, I'm sure. Right. So, you know, part of it, part of it is strategic because you can't realize, you can't, you cannot reveal what Archie's um, background is. Because, one, he himself is probably unaware of it. He, he considered, you know, he's like, I'm white, I was born in America, therefore I'm an American. Yes. But that same logic doesn't extend to anyone else in any other group no i find it so interesting like the way archie approaches his own life because like edith is just like he's a nice guy it's a further walk but he gets good fish and this mr tomasetti is a nice dude and blah 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 blah. where archie like you see in this episode like every decision and every action he makes is based off of some stereotype or some racial thing and which is crazy yes, like how could you live your life right. and every decision that's made in that house is made under his thumb, with right. the exception of Mike and Gloria getting married. Um, right. Do, have you seen that episode? I can't remember if that's season one or two, but there's there's I've one episode. It's like the one year anniversary of Mike and Gloria's wedding, and you like flash back to when they first met. Yes, I've seen that I episode. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so. Um, yeah. But it's it, just such a fascinating way to go about your life, which I think is like kind of like, because my parents always raised me with the idea of like you know money r- runs everything. Like, that was kind right. of, like, a running theme throughout my childhood of, like, my parents reminding me that, like, money runs everything. Like, people are going to help you if it benefits them. Yeah. Like, that's kind of, like, a weird 
like life less like some people were like well ironically considering what you've been saying about your parents that's kind of a marxist approach to taking you know right that like that every single struggle every single decision everything that happens in the world is supported by like a class system or supported by money like yes and i think that's like it's similar archie just being like how could you raise a kid just to be like well you know italians are like this and jews are like that and germans are like that and egyptians are like that and colored people are like this and it's like oh that's such a crazy way of Mm -hmm. approaching life and unfortunately i mean you know we see that not much has changed we see so much um we see like so much bigotry that exists that exists among oppressed groups so like you know you you see like in in, um gay culture on grinder oh oh, here we go yeah you see like gay men like you know no fats no femmes no blacks it's just my preference but then you know you also see it in um you know for instance like i work in a school that is predominantly caribbean and Caribbean culture, Jamaican culture specifically, is expressly homophobic. And, you know, the things that I've heard my students say over, you know, over the time that I've been teaching there, I'm like, I'm, I'm like, you know, a minute ago you were, you were, you know, you were saying, um, a minute ago, you know, you were talking about racism and now you're, so you're like, you're saying that, oh yeah, my group is oppressed, but I'm going to oppress another group. Like, I there is a un- lot I, of that. I can't understand, yeah, I like, I just don't understand people who don't understand intersectionality. Like, they don't understand, like, oh, yeah, like, I'm a member of an oppressed group, but I'm going to oppress another group right now. Also, the house was $26,000. Yeah, $26,000, like, won't buy you a textbook for your, like, first yeah, semester. Yeah, like, my car was $23,000. Like, I fucking, what the fuck? <laughs> $26,000. They put $5,000 down on that house. <laughs> like... Fuck you. <laughs> I can't. So so what's on the agenda for next? What's on our gay agenda for next week, Gus? Uh, the gay agenda next week is brunch, 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 talk to Tommy Loren in West Hollywood. <laughs> and well, brunch. Oh, I mean, like, what's, what's the episode for next week? Oh, next week's episode is, oh, it's going to be Edith has jury duty. Oh, oh that's going to be a good one. Which, yeah, an, another another literary illusion. Oh, I'm loving that's gonna all be a fun. Oh, that's English, 12 Angry Men, right? Yeah, yeah, this is an English teacher's wet dream right, right now. I can't wait till we get to the women's live one when Gloria really freaks out, because I just want to talk about intersectional feminism. Oh, yes. <laughs> Ooh, I'm oh. so excited. Yes, there, all right. there's a lot in store for us. Thanks for joining us, guys. I'm Gus, and, and this is Alex Ajar. Thanks for listening. All in the Family was recorded on tape before a live audience. 